For those of you that have been with us, we're doing Luke chapter 10, verses 1 through 24. I think this is the fourth sermon out of this one section, transitional piece of uh, scripture in Luke. Um, I'm going to read not the whole thing, but just the first half of it um, to get up to where we're at in this passage for today. So Luke chapter 10, verses 1 through 24. I think I'm going to stop around verse 16. Uh, After this, the Lord appointed 72 others and sent them on ahead of him, two by two, into every town and place where he himself was about to go. And he said to them, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Go your way. Behold, I am sending you out as lambs in the midst of wolves. Carry no money bag, no knapsack, no sandals, and greet no one on the road. Whatever house you enter, first say, Peace be to this house. And if a son of peace is there, your peace will rest upon him. But if not, it will return to you. And remain in the same house, eating and drinking what they provide, for the laborer deserves his wages. Do not go from house to house. Whenever you enter a town and they receive you, eat what is set before you. Heal the sick in it and say to them, The kingdom of God has come near to you. But whenever you enter a town and they do not receive you, go into its streets and say, Even the dust of your town that clings to your feet, we wipe off against you. Nevertheless, know this, that the kingdom of God has come near. I tell you, it will be more bearable on that day for Sodom than for that town. Woe to you, Chorazin, woe to you, Bethsaida, for if the mighty works done in you had been done in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago, sitting in sackcloth and ashes. But it would be more bearable on the, uh, in the judgment for Tyre and Sidon than for you. And you, Capernaum, will you be exalted to heaven? You should be brought down to Hades. The one who hears you hears me, and the one who rejects you rejects me, and the one who rejects me rejects him who sent me. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you, God, for this day. Again, I thank you for your word. I would ask now that as we dig into this passage of Scripture, Lord, we ask for your spirit, your very spirit, to be present in us today. Lord, from the speaking that I do to the listening, Lord, the very words that we discussed today, God, I ask that your spirit would guide and direct every part of it. Lord, apart from that, we would have nothing in this room to look forward to if you were not here and present and a very real presence in what we're thinking and doing and saying. Lord God, we just ask this of you in Christ's name. Amen. Uh, A couple comments before I start. One, I'm just going to throw it out there. I know that I've had a couple long sermons lately, okay? I know, okay? You don't have to tell me. I don't need anybody going, okay? I know. I'm sorry. It wasn't intentional. I don't plan on it. I honestly, I'm going to be honest with you guys. I don't, I'm, I'm oblivious to time when I'm up here. I apologize, okay? Sorry. I just wanted to throw that out there in case you guys are like, really? Is this a new thing? No, okay, okay? Um, number two, it's Mother's Day. I know that. We've talked about this already. I'm going to try to be quick as well for that purpose because I'm sure that there's a few of you that are like, uh, Matt, I've got some Mother's Day plans for lunch. So if you could uh, wrap it up. Um, uh, seriously, though, I, in, a, in a more real sense, I, I do know that sometimes, I mean, that, that's the reality. But as a pastor, I, I always seek to try to grow in what I'm doing. And, and every once in a while I go, I've gotten kind of out there. I need to be more, right, to the point. So you ready? Okay. You like that? All right, so I'm going to start with a little illustration. My wife actually helped me with this one. There's a game that we play 
at our house called Compatibility. It's a card game. Uh, you have each, you get in partners, and you, you have these cards, and these cards have either pictures or words on them, right? And so the way the game goes, you'll have a topic come up, and they'll, they'll present the topic, one word, and then you and your partner, you lay out cards face down that when you hear that word, this is what it makes you think, right? This is what you think of. And it's called compatibility because you, then you see, are my cards matching up with the person that I'm with, right? Are we compatible, okay? Please do not play this game to see if you're actually compatible. That, that will destroy everything. I'm just telling you it's, it doesn't work. But it's a fun game to play just to see what people come up with. Now, there's a joke in my house because almost every single topic, there's one card I play almost every single time, and it's, it's this one. There's a, there's a cross card. So I took a picture of it today. There's one of the cards that's a cross card. Because Jesus has to do with everything. Hello? So I'm, I'm like, whatever the topic is, I'm like, well, Jesus. You know? <laughs> I mean, I just can't, I can't help it. Uh, there's another card I play a lot because, again, this next card it, it's one of those things that you go, I, I mean, it just fits so well. But as I, before I show it to you, I want you to think about this. So if the topic came up of Scripture or uh, something from the Word of God, or say you're reading the Word of God, if you were to lay out cards of what those things make you think of, a lot of us would put the cross card up. We'd be like, yes, obviously. It's the Bible we're reading. Of course, it makes me think of Jesus. But some of you would play this card, right? I play this card a lot because what's he thinking? I don't know, he could be thinking about exactly what we put this, whatever the topic is, he looks like he's thinking about. Every time I go through my deck of cards and I pick one, I'm like, that's what he's thinking about. I can tell. I'm like, I got to use this guy. He's thinking about this. And some of you, that's what you do. When you, you get to a tough topic of scripture or a challenging passage, you're reading the Bible on your own, you're sitting there, and there, every once in a while you get done reading it and you go, hmm. Now, if you have a beard like I do, you do this. Because this, as... Any student of mine knows the facial hair is connected directly to the brain. It's true, isn't it? It's true. You, I know you guys don't believe me. I'm telling you, it stimulates thought just like this. Now, some of you, though, there's another card, and I don't play this one as often, but it definitely there's certain topics that come up, and I think that some of you, there's certain topics in Scripture that come up that the card that you would play, what it makes you think of is this guy. Right? Like you read it and you're like, what? Is oh gosh, I shouldn't put my hand over the mic. What? Right? What in the world? I mean, you're just like, it's disturbing sometimes. Let's be honest. There's some passages of scripture that you read and you're like, that's a little disturbing. Right? If you, if you haven't thought that, I'm going to tell you right now, you have not been reading your Bible. Okay? Because there are some things in there. Well, I'm, well, I can remember one of the ones that I always always blows my mind is we're talking about people talk about like the Old Testament's full of wrath, but the New Testament's full of love, right? But then you get to Revelation and it's like, and then God's judgment will come and they will He will slay them all until the blood is flowing up to the level of the knees, and you're like, what? I mean, that's what I look like. What? I mean, read your Bibles, and I, I'm telling you, you're gonna you're gonna be having some thoughts either hmm or. <gasps> Okay? Anyway. I have today, I've got three points. See, I'm trying to be succinct here. Three points. I have two additional points that are just, I'm going to call them head scratchers. Okay? So in the text I have today, there's two of these, two things I'm just going to point out that make you go either like this or like this. Okay? There's two of these points. I'm just going to throw them out there where I'm not going to delve into them. They might be a nice Wednesday night topic to discuss, but I'm going to 
throw them out there. There's some things that you're going to read and you're going to go, what in the world? But, there's some, but then there's three things that I think we can take away with. And we've been talking about this ministry, and I'm going to keep myself from reviewing because I, I always want to review every single Sunday. I'm not going to do that. I'm just going to tell you, listen to the sermons if you missed them. Uh, but there's three things today that are just, I'm going to just call them big realities, huge realities that Christ in this ministry, in this mission, Christ alludes to these three huge realities. We are not going to unpack them completely because the rest of Luke is going to do a lot of that. I'm going to be honest with you. But we are going to open up the lid and take a peek inside and maybe look like that, okay? Now, I'm going to start off with head scratcher number one. Ready for head scratcher number one? Your meat computer is humming away right now. Um, now, I'm going to share the text, but I'm going to show the question first. This is a question I ask when I read this. Why did Jesus not do those works for the people of Tyre and Sidon? You may go, what are you talking about? If you were listening earlier, you heard this. Let me go to the passage. What do you... Praise and what do you best say to for the mighty works done in you have been done and tired and sighed and they would have repented long ago sitting in sackcloth and ashes. Now my brain kind of goes, well, wait a minute. If God knew that those works would have worked in those towns, why didn't he do that? Some of you are like, I've never thought that. That's what I thought. Well, that's what I was thinking when I read this. I mean, he says, if, if these works... Jesus says that these works that, that we're doing here, this God, if this was done in those cities, they would have repented. Now, the point here is different than that, but I can't help but go, well, then why didn't he do that? If he wanted, I mean, if he wanted them to, why wouldn't he have done that? See, I'm going like this. What? I hear a phone. I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm sorry, I can't concentrate. It's vibrating. That's what I'm doing with the phone. But, what, what do you, I mean, if these works would have been done there, we would have said, or they would have repented long ago, right? They would have repented long ago. But Jesus says, now you have to understand, Tyre and Sidon, just like the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah, right? Just like those cities, I'm so sorry. I don't know, but I can't focus Anybody hear it? Gosh, I'm so terrible, aren't I? Okay. Ter- terrible. Totally not. Charity just said not professional. You're right. I quit. I quit. I'm trying. Okay. Uh, refocus, Matt. Back on, back on task. Um, there's a big reality here that, the, that is hinted at. Okay, and let me put it this way, just to jump to it. This will help us all get refocused. Repentance is still the key characteristic of a right response to Jesus. Now, I toyed around with throwing the word still in there because the text isn't talking about this is still how it is, but I feel some days there's, there's, there's aspects of what is traditionally understood. This is what the scriptures teach that we kind of shuffle under the rug. and I, So I threw that still in there to, to make sure that we all understand this is still the case. In a right response to Christ and the things that he does, it can be characterized by this word repentance. 
Who of you have heard, who's heard the word repent before? Yeah? The, the word repent is an interesting word. I used to use this illustration. I'd say, I, and some of you heard this, and this isn't a bad illustration, but they talk about, well, it, it, think about a coin, two sides of the same coin. On one side, you got faith, and the other side, you got repentance, right? And, and people have talked about that. But I, I want to tell you, that, that's a nice illustration, but the reality is the word repent is still an internal thing. The word repent means to change your mind. Okay, have a change of mind. The reason why we think about it in outward terms is because if you have a change of mind, it's usually associated to I was doing this and then you have a change of mind and you go, okay, I'm going to do this now. That's what, that's what repentance is about. And it's very much all throughout scripture tied with this right response to God and what he's doing and specifically in this case with Jesus. So our first point here of the three, repentance is a key characteristic of our right response to God. Now, I want to give you four little descriptions. The Bible talks about repentance in many different ways, but I'm going to give you four big ones right now, real quick. The first one comes from John chapter 3. Um, and you hear in John chapter 3, you hear this rabbi comes to Christ at night secretly, and he wants to know what, how, I mean, the question he says is, how are you, basically, how are you doing these things? And Jesus' response to him is, here's how I'm doing it. That's not what he says. He says this, truly, in other words, listen up, truly, I'm telling you very clearly here, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. This, this change of mind in this case is described, it, it's kind of like you're being born all over again. You're a whole new person. You're a whole new person now. And unless one is born again, he cannot, cannot even see the kingdom of God. This is one description. Remember earlier when I said I'm not going to unpack these things? This is where I'm going I'm to leave this out there. Let's move to the next one, okay? Here's one description. If any one of these, you sit there and you go, what is that talking about? And you want to ask further questions about, please come find me. Matt, tell me more about that born again thing. In fact, that's exactly what the rabbi Nicodemus did after Jesus said this. The rabbi says, can a person go back in their, mother, their mother's womb and be born a second time? And Jesus is like, how are you a teacher of Israel? You don't understand these things, right? Anyway, here's another one. In Ephesians chapter 2, Paul the Apostle is talking about, in fact, I love Ephesians chapter 2 because there's so many places where the Bible talks about uh, salvation in terms of what it looks like for, uh, on the outside, this faith and the repentance. But Ephesians 2 is, a, is an amazing passage because it talks about this act of salvation and it comes at it entirely from, this, from God's point of view of what's going on in a person, in a human being, when they are saved, right? Ephesians chapter 2, and he describes it like this. It's like being made alive, right? There's a lot of passages that talk about going from death to life. Ephesians chapter 2 is talking about, and it starts off, you were once dead in your trespasses and sin, which flows right from all the way back to Genesis when, when God told them, if you eat of the fruit of the tree, you're going to die. You're going to be, in fact, it literally says you're going to be dead, dead, right? You're very dead. You're going to be spiritually dead. You're going to be, all, you're a dead. You're dying physically, but you're dead spiritually immediately. And that's exactly what happens in the whole rest of the scriptures, unpacking what it looks like to be a humanity that is spiritually dead. You get to Ephesians chapter 2, and God is talking about what happens when someone 
repents. And from God's perspective, it looks like being made alive. You were once dead. He says, but God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, unmerited, unearned favor, you have been saved. It's the day of phones. The next one. Repentance is also many times described as like being given a new spirit. Right? Being given a new spirit. This one comes from the Old Testament, the passage I want to share with you. Ezekiel 11 says this, And I will give them one heart and a new spirit I will put in them. I will remove the heart of stone from their flesh and give them a heart of flesh, that they may walk in my statutes and keep my rules and obey them. Notice the, notice the flow of thought here. The, the obedience is an outflowing of a person being given a new heart, a new spirit. This is what Christi- Christianity, unlike so many other religions, in fact, I would say all other religions, is we're, we're backwards from everybody else. Everybody else, if you do, if you do, if you do, then God will have favor on you. That is not how Christianity works. In the scriptures, it's God is rich in mercy. And with his great love, he has done these things. And then you see the behaviors that the Bible, when the Bible gives, gives commands to do, it's not do so you can be righteous. It's because you're righteous in Christ, you should do. You should live out this change that's happened in you. Ephesians says this. In him, uh, you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. So this new spirit is talking about the very, the very spirit of God in you. He's the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it the praise of his glory. Let me give you one more descriptive way of looking at repentance. And this one I love because many of us, as we've lived this life, have a lot of things that we're ashamed of. And in Christianity, that ought not to be because of what I put up here next. Repentance, that change of mind is very much like being made clean. Titus 3.5 says he saved us not because of works done by us in righteousness. See, that's the thing. In this salvation that God offers, in this repentance, that repentance is not about getting your righteousness. It's a, it's a result of recognizing that you can't and Christ did it all. And the glorious part about this is one of the most, to me, this is one of the most glorious parts about the whole thing. He saved us not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit. There's this washing picture that comes out so that you are made clean. This is one I could go to so many passages of Scripture from the Old Testament and the New Testament. Give you one more. Hebrews 10.22. Let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Jesus alludes to the reality that the works done, the right response is this repentance. And what this repentance looks like, it's, it's radical. It's drastic. It's miraculous. I know as I look around this room, there's many of you that attest to that verbally. You go, if you knew me then, and you see me now, that is a miracle of God. 
I'm not there yet. <laughs> that process, that salvation, this is why I love even that term saved. There's, if you go through the scriptures, there's, it's always talked about in so many different ways. You have been saved. You're being saved. You're going to be saved. I mean, the salvation thing, it starts in here, and it just works its way out. And many of you can just say, attest to that, and you go, man, I, my progress. Some of you, your progress is like a sprint. Some of you, your progress is like on the ground, clawing one inch at a time. And you know what? They're both glorious because they both represent a God who saves wretched sinners. Right? It's glorious. And don't, and wasn't planning on going into this, but don't, don't in your hearts beat yourself up over and over again about your past because I'm telling you, you're a new creation in Christ. And it's glorious. Every little step you take towards him speaks not of your glory, but of his, of his, right? Now, head scratcher number two. Ready for the next head scratcher? And then we'll get to the next point. Head scratcher number two, put this right up here, are the levels of judgment. Some of you are going, uh, no. Yes, I don't know. I thought no, but now you're putting the question up there. Maybe, yeah, I don't know. How could one be more bearable than the other? This one we've, we've uh, mentioned already in this passage. If you go back to verse 12, Jesus said, I tell you, it will be more bearable on that day. And on that day is talking about judgment day. It will be more bearable on that day for Sodom than for that town. Now, I'm telling you right now, Huge implications there, isn't there? If you know anything about Old Testament history, you know Sodom. Sodom and Gomorrah were these two cities that were wicked, and they're just known for their wickedness. And God judged I mean, so, but think about what Jesus is saying here. These cities, right, it'll be more bearable on Judgment Day than this city that God rained down fire from heaven and destroyed, and everybody died. And that's more bearable than these, what these cities are going to face. Hmm. Right? Mm -hmm. Maybe you maybe I should have put the other one up there. Right? Both of them. He speaks of it again in verse 14 and 15. He says, It will be more bearable in the judgment for Tyre and Sidon, another two cities that again were known for their wickedness. They were they stood out as representatives of evil. More bearable in the judgment for Tyre and Sidon than for you and you, Capernaum. Capernaum, the city that Jesus did much, much ministry in, did many works in Capernaum. Jesus says, and you, Capernaum, will you be exalted to heaven? Rhetorical question. You shall be brought down to Hades. One commentator puts it this way, Leon Morris. He says, do you, the, the question could be understood this way, what Jesus asks. Here. He says, do you really expect to be raised to heaven just because I visited you? That's the force of the question. In other words, Capernaum, do you think you're going to be raised up to heaven just because Jesus was there? And it's a rhetorical question. The answer is no. Uh-uh. In fact, the very opposite is true. You, Capernaum, will be cast down to Hades. Let me give you my second point here. Move past the head scratcher. We'll leave that one on the back burner to simmer. Let's move up to the front. 
the eternal realities at stake are still both heaven and hell. Those are big realities at stake, are they not? I'm going to give you a few glimpses as the scriptures describe them of these two realities. I want to begin by saying we're not going to, again, open that box and dig all the way to the bottom. I'm just going to open the lid and take a peek inside because as we go through Luke, in fact, the first two examples I have, we're, we're going there in Luke. You know why we're going there in Luke? Because Jesus goes there, right? Jesus goes there. Let me give you the first one. Uh, Luke chapter 13, we get a glimpse of this reality Jesus is teaching. He describes it as this, and this is used multiple times by Jesus to describe this place. It, it's intriguing to me that so many we, we will talk about, again, Old Testament like wrath and judgment. The New Testament is like hippies or something. I don't know, like... But if you, again, just read the text, how Jesus, who embodied the love of God, talks. I can't help but think that the reason why he's saying these things is rooted in love for people. He describes it as there's this place of weeping and gnashing of teeth. Luke 13, 28, in that place, as he's describing this and building up to this judgment where these people go, the people that have rejected him, where is their end result? He says, in that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. When you see Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and all the prophets in the kingdom of God, but you yourselves are cast out. Now he's talking to the Jews, God's people that had been now... Christ had come to them to tell them the truth, and he tells them, it's the same thing that he's saying to Capernaum. You think that just showing up, that I showed up and told you some stuff, that's good? No. In fact, the reality is the opposite. If you do not hear these words, put your faith, your hope, your trust in them, believe in Christ, this is the eternal result. Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and all the prophets in the kingdom of God, but you yourselves cast out. Another description of this is called a, it's called a place of anguish. This is not Mother's Day sermon material, is it? I don't know. Depends on your mom, maybe, right? <laughs> um, in Luke chapter 16, we get a glimpse. It, I, I don't think in Luke 16 it's a parable. In parables, Jesus doesn't give names. He doesn't name names. But in Luke 16, there's a story that Jesus tells where he talks about a rich man. He does not, does not name, but then he says there's a poor, name, poor man named Lazarus. And he describes, he gives a glimpse, I'm sorry, a glimpse past the end. They've, these two people, individuals have died, and he's talking about their state, where are they at now. In verse 23, and I'm not going to put this one up here, but he says, verse 23, he says, the rich man, he says, and he was in Hades being in torment. He lifted up his eyes and saw Abraham far off and Lazarus. So in some way, in his torment, he's able to see Lazarus by Abraham's side. And he calls out, 
Father Abraham, have mercy on me and send Lazarus to dip the end of his finger in water and cool my tongue, for I am in anguish in this flame. This is Jesus giving us a glimpse beyond today into eternity at the states of two individuals. And is it not, when you let yourself soak in these words, is it not horrendous? But I think the, the Jesus who loves us is telling us these things for a purpose. He wants us to know there are big realities at stake. It's also described as a place of darkness. Previously in Luke, we talked about the healing of the centurion's servant. And Jesus marveled at this, this Gentile's great faith. When Matthew tells the story, he adds a little bit more because there's some Jews there, the people of God, that have been rejecting him. But this centurion is, is putting his faith in Christ. And he says this, Jesus says, I tell you, many will come from east and west and recline at table with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven, while the sons of the kingdom, the, the Jewish people, because of their rejection right, of Christ, will be thrown into the outer darkness, right? A place of darkness. In that place, again, it's said there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Finally, Jesus talks again of this frequently, of it being, and we've heard a couple of references to this already. In some way, it's a fire, but it's always described as an eternal, unquenchable fire. A fire where, in Mark 9, 48, Jesus says, where the worm does not die and the fire is not quenched. Matthew 3, 12, his winning fork is in his hand and he will clear his threshing floor and gather his wheat into the barn, but the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. Matthew 25, 41, then he will say to those on his left, depart from me, you cursed, into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. These are big, deep, scary, frightening realities. And the God of love embodied in the person of Christ, tells us these things. And in the ministry that he sends them out on, he knows that these are the stakes, heaven or hell. I should probably talk about heaven a little bit, shouldn't I? I got so dreary there. I have one passage on heaven um, because there's so, so much. I mean, if I went down this rabbit trail, we'd be here all day. The glories of what that eternal state will be, I don't think we can even begin to grasp. One of my favorites comes from the Old Testament with Daniel chapter 12. He says this, speaking about the end of the age, he says this, he says, and many of those who sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake, some to everlasting life, some to shame and everlasting contempt, and those who are wise shall shine like the brightness of the sky above, and those who turn many to righteousness like the stars forever and ever. What glory is to be revealed? I have no 
ID. I don't think any of us fully do. That last thought there ties in with the previous one and the one to come. That turn to righteousness is another way of speaking about repentance. But notice it's not just talking about their own turn to righteousness, but also as you turn many to righteousness. So let's go back to our passage, Luke chapter 10, verse 16. Let's take a peek at this last one here for today. No head scratchers here. This one's pretty clear. The one who hears you hears me, and the one who rejects you rejects me, and the one who rejects me rejects him who sent me. We don't have to scratch our head, do we? It's pretty clear. You reject, if they reject you, they're actually rejecting Jesus, and if they reject Jesus, you know who they're really rejecting? God himself. There is only one God, 1 Timothy 2.5. There's only one God and there's, on, there's one mediator between God and men, the man, Christ Jesus. So to reject Christ rejects that one and only way to God the Father. John chapter 1, one of my favorite passages that really glimpse into eternal realities that that will leave you scratching your head. John chapter 1 starts off and it says this. It says, in the beginning, what's before that? Anybody know? <laughs> that's it's the beginning, so that's the first thing, right? In the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God and the Word was God. Oh, man, I'd love to talk about that for a little while. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. So there's made stuff, there's not made stuff. All the made stuff, he's not one of the made stuff, Jesus. Everything that's made, he made. There's not a thing in this universe that's made that he didn't make. Makes sense to say then, in him was life. And the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. This is John, I think, speaking poetically very much so about this Jesus coming into the world. He was like the, the, the light, the light of creation, the light of all that is. The word of God, the very revealed word of God in a person is walking with us. And John's trying to talk about it. And this is how he does it through the inspiration of the Spirit. He's the Word. And the Word was with God. The Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. He made all things. And then he was like light and darkness. Skip down to verse 9 there. He says, The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. Very sad reality of exactly what you see in the ministry of Christ. He made everything. He made those people that rejected him. How is that possible to not recognize your own creator? But that's exactly what we all do so often. He goes on in a little bit more detail. He came to his own and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor the will of man, but born of God. 
the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, the glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. There is no other. There is no other option of reconciling with God apart from Jesus Christ. No other way. A lot of people like to say, when they talk about different religions of the world, they go, well, they're all basically the same. What, what, okay, let me start by saying, what an insult, not just to... That's an insult to all the religions. You just insulted every religion on the planet when you said that. You know that? Every religion in the world went, what are you talking about? Right? You just created your own religion. That's what you just did when you said that. I'm making up a whole new one where nothing matters. Right? Because we're not basically the same. The key important stuff we're drastically different in. We might have some similar moralities in there, like don't kill people. But when it comes down to the big, important things, no similarities at all. As Christians, we believe this is the word, the very word of God, and we believe that Jesus Christ is the only Son from the Father, God himself in the flesh, incarnated. He came to this earth, lived a perfectly righteous life, and your only hope is his righteousness for you. That's it. Not a, in fact, not another religion on the planet comes anywhere near saying a similar thing. Everybody else is, be good. Maybe God will accept you. Maybe we'll put some scales out. Oh, too bad. But that's not us. If there were scales, we'd lose. But Christ came, lived righteous life, died on the cross, took, he became sin for us and bore the full wrath of God upon himself, took all the wrath that you deserve and took it on himself. And then he takes that righteousness he earned and he says, I'm going to freely bestow it to you. And it's going to, in the process of doing that, this miracle is going to happen. It's going to change your very essence of who you are from the inside out. That's Christianity. There is still only one way to the Father. This is a big reality that Jesus alludes to in this text. There's still only one way to the Father. John 14, 6, Jesus said to him, I am the way, the truth, the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Again, our, our modern ears hear that and we go, Sounds rather exclusive. Who are you to think you're right? And everybody else. But, you know, I hate to break it to you, but there is such a thing as truth. There are things that are true, and there are things that are false. Okay? And I'm telling you right now, Jesus says, and he was either, he was either lying to us, or he was insane, or he might be the very Lord of the earth. And isn't it then, if that is true, isn't it then in his great love for us that he would say something like that? It's not about being, it's saying, there's a way. See, you're looking at it wrong if you're like, well, that sounds like, no, there's a way. I mean, praise God, there's a way. There's a way that has been made by the death of Christ on the cross. There's a way that has been made. And Jesus wants you to know He's it. He's the way. 
There's a way for you, no matter where you've at, no matter what you've done, no matter how sinful you are, even the worst, detestable things that you go, I've hidden those things so down deep in my heart that, man, if I were to just confess those things, I'm sure that everybody in this room would boot me out of here. I'm telling you right now that Jesus Christ would not do that. As you come to him and you say, you confess your sins to him, you say, Lord, you're my Lord. I'm putting all of my hope in you. Jesus says, this is the way. Enter in. I love that story of that thief on the cross who earlier in the day had been mocking Christ himself. Comes to that final point and he just realizes, maybe I think seeing his response, maybe he'd heard of Jesus, but I seeing the grace that Christ, as he takes this unbearable punishment as an innocent person, as he watches that, Maybe he even heard, Father, forgive them for no... At some point, that thief goes. He doesn't know what to say. Remember, would you remember me? And Jesus goes, today, you will not be in a place of punishment. You'll be in a place of paradise. How is that possible? Apart from the great grace of God found in Christ so true that in that day in Jesus' day there was a great rejection of Christ was there not God's people for the most part said no I can't help but think that in a very similar way not the same but very similar we're encountering something very much like that in, in this nation today. Unlike many nations on this planet, we have been blessed with a, a, what's the word, proliferation of the scriptures, of churches, of pastors, of preachers. I mean, there's Bibles, there's so many. You go down to use store, and there's Bibles just stacked. I mean, we have, we've been blessed in so many ways. And in very, I'm telling you, in a very real way, I think that God may be looking at America today and going, woe to you. All the great works that I have done in you. And you're now rejecting. I love that there's a remnant in every situation in Scripture. I think that's what we are, is it not? A remnant? This Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you, the builders. Now, this is speaking about the Jewish people, but I I can't help but hear echoes of that same thing coming down here today in our own lives. That stone which the builders rejected, it has become, and we could say it is, the chief cornerstone the cornerstone there is salvation in no one else for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved there are great realities in this ministry that you do when you go out into this world and you're sharing the gospel you're sharing things that have high stakes every person you meet is destined for one or the other. What are you going to do? 
This, this bringing of the gospel message is, is essential. Paul was driven, Paul the Apostle was driven to bring the gospel to everybody. Have we forgotten that? That there are high stakes. I hope this is a motivation to you as you think through your week and you think about what you're going to encounter in your job, with your neighbors, with your family, that you're not just thinking about the trivial stuff of life, but let the big realities of your mission in this world sink in. People still need Jesus. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you again for your word. I thank you, God, so much that Luke took that time to, to research and to find out what you talked about and what you taught and what you said. Lord, I thank you that this story was preserved for us to read about 2,000 years later. Lord, I thank you, God, that you have made a way of salvation. Lord, we know there's no other way given among men by which we must be saved, but God, praise you that we know that way. It's been revealed to us. Let us take this truth with us. Every place we go, spreading this good, good news. Lord God, I ask that you would strengthen us. Lord, I pray that you would encourage us. Lord, I pray that your blessing would be on us as we present the gospel to our family, our friends, our neighbors, everyone that we encounter, every soul that we encounter. In Christ's name I pray these things. Amen.